Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And he swings. Hits it high. And deep. And gone. Still going back. Yeah! Out of here. Welcome to the big leagues. Deep to center field. And it is gone. Wow, his first big league swing is going to be a grand slam home run. Swing and drive. We're talking Milwaukee Brewers prospects today on the call-up. I'm Arm Layton. He's Jack McMullen. And the Brewers system, man, I would say this is one of the more eye-opening dives I've done in a little bit. Of course, we we know about the top 10 prospects, but it's always one of those things when, when I get to just spend way more intimate time with the entire system and just go look at some of these prospects that, you know, maybe I'll gloss over usually as I'm trying to just keep up with the rest of the minor leagues, you start to realize, wait, this guy's pretty good. Like this guy could be a 50 future value guy. This guy could be a 50 future value guy. And then all of a sudden you're like, wait, the Brewers have a lot of these guys. And I came away with, I think realizing that the Brewer system, man, is a little bit better than I thought it was even going into this dive and kind of catching up on how all of these different players finished and some of their draftees, you know, in 2023. It sounds a lot like the bachelor process. Um, did you ever watch the bachelor bachelorette? It, you've got the group dates. So my girlfriend got me into it and then I was like, wow, I'm in for like three seasons. And then I realized it's just the same thing every time. So that's when I got out. But the whole premise of the bachelor or bachelorette is you've got two different types of dates. You've got a group date and a one-on-one date and the group date, like that's where the T happens because everybody's trying to separate themselves in this big field. And like the people you fall in love with on the group date are the junior Camineros of the world. And hell, like even being brewer specific, the Jacob Mizorowski's and, yeah, and the Jackson you don't need Chorio. to, you don't need to dig deep to, to, to see what's special about those no. guys. Right. But like, let's go on a one-on-one date with Robert Gasser and Eric Brown jr. And like, we're, we're learning that there's layers to these guys and Carlos Rodriguez, like, are you more than the changeup? I don't know. We'll talk about it in a couple of minutes. Yeah, no, that's actually a pretty good comp. Usually you comp the baseball stuff to real life things. And, um, you know, I'll just nod my head. That one, that one plays. That yeah. one plays. I'll give you that one. So uh, as always, you you put together the names to watch. I think the names to watch are even pretty solid too. But what really stood out to me is, as we'll talk about it, 10 to 15, like th- those are all guys that I'm either very eager to see what they do because they have a lot of upside and we just haven't seen much yet, or they're yeah. just really solid, safe uh, I think high probability big league bench pieces or or a little bit more than that, which is good to have littered through your system when you have so much upside in other spots. I'll talk about a couple of themes here because the Brewers have a couple interesting ones. Uh, you can tell the types of hitters they generally like, but they like to mix in a little bit of volatility, which I love because generally they'll go, you know, higher floor, uh, good approach, generally good field to hit. And sometimes those guys are limited. Like we're going to talk about a Mike Bove. Like, what's what's the best case scenario of, of Mike Bove? It, it, it's going to be 
probably something close to, to what you think he's going to be, right? But when you mix in like a Luke Adams, who is just a monster dude who looks like Joey Weimer all over again, um, yeah. Yeah, it gives you a little bit of upside balance with the high floor, and, and they seem to pick the right spot. So we'll talk about all that. Of course, if you're watching on YouTube, we'll be sharing the screen. If you're listening, uh, you can click the link in the episode description to be able to follow along with the write-ups. And as we always do, we will have Jack lead us through the names to watch. We'll go from top to bottom. Remember, it's alphabetical, though, in this case, I will tip our hand. Luke Adams is probably the, the, the best of the names to watch just because of how hard this guy freaking hits the ball, and he's only 19 years old. Right, and he's 6'4", 210, and he gets on base with the best of them, which is fascinating. And I think the Brewers are, are interesting because Nashville is perennially good. And how are you a perennially good AAA team? You don't have too many young 20-year-old guys, or like 21, 22-year-old guys. You don't have many prospects. Because if you have prospects in AAA, you just show up into the big leagues. They have good quad A guys. And Nashville is always loaded with a bunch of quad A guys. So the names to watch are not guys that have sneakily snuck through the, you know, the, mm-hmm. the ranks of, tri- of minor league baseball. It's literally just the Carolina Mudcats from this past year. Like it is low A, it's the complex. But Luke Adams at low A had a 410 OBP. He stole a bunch of bags. And you don't think stolen bases are going to be the thing that progresses. You think it's going to be juice because he's 6'4". And he hits the ball hard as crap. So I'm I'm in on that. Um, Jader Arenamo, I think it is. That was good. That was um, good. Low A guy just turned 20 at the end of November. Um, he's got a good bit of low A baseball under his belt. He He's the classic like, hey, I know how to hit. So I'm going to do that all the time. It was 306 with a 333 OBP. So like you got to walk more, but he's a young guy. Bradley Blaylock fascinates me. He was the return straight up for Luis Urias at the deadline before Urias pretty much lost all of his value. He had lost a lot of it, but not all of it. This guy was kicking tail. Then he goes down with TJ. And then he he like comes back and he's got this mid nineties heater and he's fascinating, man. So that was his ramp up year in 2023. Mm -hmm. Um, if the heater and the pair of breaking balls play, this guy can go to high A and then double yeah. A and then triple A. Like he's a quick climber. Yes. Yeah. One quick interjection there, like that you you lean into is is yeah, he comes back from the TJ. Velo was up a tick. And you know, that's obviously something you'll have to see. Uh I obviously they were, were careful with him. Like the command at times was not as sharp, but then settled in towards the end of the year. I want to see where he settles in because there are some starts where it's 93, 94, some starts where it was, you know, 92, 93 in terms of the average velocity, but over the course of the year averaged over 93 before he was more 91, 92. So uh, it's definitely an intriguing arm as, as he kind of builds back up. For sure. Uh, Wes Clark is the only comp that I make in the names to watch Hunter Goodman. It's just <laughs> power. <laughs> like that. That's what it is. Um, he had what? 23 homers at South Carolina in his draft year. Then this year he hits with 26 homers in, you know, 100 games. He drove in 80 in double-A Biloxi. Then he goes to the Arizona Fall League and in 21 games has five homers, drives in 20, and has an OPS over 1,000. So, like, is he a catcher? He's a third catcher. He's an emergency catcher. 
He's a fine first baseman. If you want to make him a teensy bit more athletic, you can probably get away with him being not good in a corner, but not a liability. But the power is going to be what gets him to the big leagues. And that is carbon copy of the conversation we have with Hunter Goodman in Colorado. Yeah. And the thing is, you just, you got to hit a lot of homers. And I think people are, you know, and us included probably discount the ability to continue to do that against better pitching, but he has continued to do that so far. So if he keeps doing it all the way up, you know, there's going to be a role for him. Yeah. Uh, Coleman Crow, the next guy and Crow is technically a triple A guy. He started four games in double A this year before going down, but he was the guy when you ID guys whose fastball characteristics played up with the tack ball. It was Coleman Crow, who was with the Angels. Then he went to the Mets, and the Eduardo Escobar deal. And then Crow was the return for the tandem of Adrian Hauser and Tyrone Taylor. He'll be out the entirety of this year. So like, if he's good at the beginning of 2025, then he may jump into the top 15. We have yet to see. He's 23 years old, but he's TJ'd up, so he is just a name to watch. Yeah. So the interesting thing there is he was one of the biggest gainers. I think he had like seven inches of induced vertical break. And and I, I don't think anybody's going to gain that much from a tact ball. Um, so I do think he made his own, you know, gains and then it compounded with the tact ball. So I'm just interested to see what it looks like neutrally, Normal. right? Like just with a regular baseball with the, the good old Delaware River bud and and just see what it looks like. Cause I do think the fastball is going to be better. It was a little bit harder and he was getting a little bit more carry, I think, naturally. But then, you know, the tack baseball just made him the the outlier of all outliers. And in those four starts before he went down, he was absolutely carving up, just overpowering guys with the fastball. So it'll be interesting to see how he comes back. But, um, yeah, I, I don't know if it's going to look as good as it looked before he went down. Yeah. Filippo uh, Dutturi, another guy who was in the DSL. Brewers kind of sprayed the board this past IFA cycle, where in January they gave three guys, I think about $1.5 million. Dutturi got 1.3. Um, he was a 17-year-old that had an OBP over 410 in the Dominican Summer League. So that's intriguing. And apparently, like, I I don't have Dominican video to watch, but apparently he's got, you know, the ability to stay at shortstop. Uh, Logan Henderson, a right-hander that was in low A, He's fascinating, man. 169 punch outs in junior college. He led America in his draft year. He's 21 years old, punched out 106, held opponents to a 185 batting average against in 78 innings, 106 in 78 innings. Um, fastball, like you wish it was better, but that changeup, I said maybe the third best in the organization at this point behind Devin Williams and Carlos Rodriguez. There's really no other changeup guy at the major league level. And Henderson, like the changeup is what has the helium for him in that organization. So it's funny with the fastball, dude. It's it's one of those just kind of invisibles. Um, and, and I think that's what's going to really have him in a big league bullpen eventually. Yeah. You'd like it to be more than 92, but I wonder if, you know, once he makes the move to a pen, uh, if, if that's 94, 95 or even 93, 94, it, it plays, man. I mean, he gets a lot of whiff on the fastball. It's a low release, high carry, like classic, but I think one of the more standout low release, high carry fastballs. So that with a change up working off of it, like those two pitches will be enough. I think to be a, a multi inning reliever uh, and something along those lines, opponents, hit 160 against his fastball this past year. And that's as a starter. And that's his throwing it 51% of the time. So I, I'm interested to see how it plays against more advanced hitters. Yeah. But there's obviously some characteristics to this fastball that are allowing it to play up. 
for sure. Um, Daniel Guillarte, another guy. It's the same conversation as Arenamo. It's got to low A, was not that good in low A, but he just turned 20 years old. So he's got time on his side. Dylan O'Ray is really interesting. He's 5'7". His cat stole 44 bags mm-hmm. in 60 games. And he walked 20 more times than he struck out. It was like 57 walks, 37 punch outs. So when you're getting on base at a 491 clip in just under 300 plate appearances, and you're swiping 44 bags in 60 games, I'm in. I'm very intrigued by who you could be. Absolutely. A couple more. Ethan Small, left-hander. <laughs> that name has been around forever. He's had two like 10 inning samples in the big leagues in 2022 and 2023. Those were as a starting pitcher. This past year, he was a reliever. And that guy being that tall with that weird of a delivery and those limbs flying everywhere in one or two inning spurts, I'm intrigued by enough to make him a name to watch. Mm-hmm. And then Freddie Zamora, kind of same thing. He's 25 years old, but the, the defensive abilities are undeniable. He missed pretty much the entirety of 22 with injury. So, you know, back-to-back healthy seasons. We'll see if, you know, this guy still has the prospect intrigue he once had. Yeah, I, I'm with you there. I just I think that there's at least a potential bench role there, even though he's older uh, in Zamora. Uh, one other name that I think got caught in between because he was on the border of the top 15, and then uh, I, I don't, and then I really relegated him to the names to watch, and then I don't think uh, I, I reminded you. I don't think I put him in there uh, for, for us to have the names have him in the names to watch. Is is Josh Noth, who was just drafted 33rd yeah. overall um, this past year. Um, I don't I don't love what I saw. He's super young. He's a he's a New York kid. Um he's he I mean 18 years old, but he's 6'1, 190. I do think that it doesn't look like there's much more in there velocity wise when you look at the delivery, but the fastball is is fine in the low nineties. The curveball's uh potentially a plus pitch, but I don't know. I, I just don't see a ton there. I, I think he's a project, but again, it's like a project with how much projectability there i just didn't love the delivery i thought it was kind of easy to pick up out of his hand kind of a short arm delivery and we'll see we'll see obviously the the brewers like something about him to take him 33rd overall and at the same time you know he does get a lot of i think he hits a lot of data darling markers Uh, the 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 curve has been over 3000 rpms and and the fastball has been up to the mid 90s so i think they feel like they could probably unlock something there and, and and help develop him but northeast kid I don't think he's had that much experience in terms of, you know, playing against more elite competition. I watched some of the the video against, uh, you know, some of the top players in, in those like all American type games. And yeah. it, it just seemed like it was some of the more comfortable at bats for guys. So we'll see what the Brewers can do here and, and we'll see what they've got there. But he's, he's just outside of the top 15 for me. Um, gotcha. And, and that'll lead us right into the top 15, which puts us at one of the newest Brewers organization guys. And I, I felt like it was a little bit, Tough to justify a 26-year-old and Oliver Dunn at number 15. But, you know, we look at some of these other names, and yeah, like you, you could say Josh Noth, like th- that that could be a guy that potentially is, is a higher-ranked prospect. But I'm kind of worried about uh, a lot of things that we just talked about there. And Oliver Dunn's a big leaguer. You know, he's going to be a big leaguer this coming year. And they traded two pretty intriguing, you know, lower-level guys in Hendry Mendez and, and uh, Robert Moore – to go get done and done like a, a reason why he's not a super highly regarded prospect is he was an 11th round pick. 
Then, and that was in 2019 by the Yankees. Then 2020 COVID. Then 2021, he was banged up. 2022, I believe he was a little bit banged up as well. So he only played like 100 and something games between those two seasons. And then 2023, 25 years old, he gets selected in the minor league rule five draft by the, the Phillies. And he goes nuts in, in double-A reading. And uh, Redding? Redding? Redding. Redding. Double-A Redding. 21 homers, steals some bags, plays a little bit, you know, all over, a little bit of left even, but second, third base. And, I mean, some really eye-popping EVs. Then I saw Don in the Arizona Fall League where he proceeded to slash 343, 455, 616. And Oliver Dunn's an example of why the Arizona Fall League exists, right? Like, he gets more reps, which is important, but he also – plays in front of scouts of other teams so that ahead of the 40-man deadline, you know, a team like the Phillies was actually able to turn him into some quality prospects, and a team like the Brewers was able to identify someone that will probably be on their bench this year. What stood out to me is he's fast. I didn't realize he can motor like that. I mean, he, he was 12 for 12 on bags in the AFL, but he, he's an above-average borderline-plus runner. Then the other thing that stood out to me is he's got juice. Yeah, I know he had 21 home runs, but – the, the EVs were there. The BP was impressive. Uh, I mean, the guy hits the ball really hard. He said it is hard as 112. 90th percentile was right around 106, 107 last year. So, I mean, you, you could make the case that it's it's fringe plus uh, when you look at the power. He's going to whiff. Um, and, and I think that's part of the concern, right, is it's going to be a high 20% strikeout rate. But he's a lefty hitter. He's super patient, sub 20% chase rate. And you know what? If he's a low batting average, high power in terms of, you know, I think he's going to be able to hit potentially 20 home runs if he hits enough he walks he can run he plays a fine second base I, I think the Brewers may have you know snagged a guy that is I think more capable of of big league reps than I think maybe the Phillies or some other teams were giving him credit for after just not having the track record like who is the it guy at second base in major league baseball right now? Like who is, who is everybody looking for a template of, I think it's Julianne in Minnesota. I thought Julianne was the it guy this year where you see that. And it's like, okay, there's a chance that you are at least a serviceable big leaguer. And this just seems like a very subdued version of Julianne, like less pop, you know, it's not as egregious, like, Hey, he never swings, but like, you're going to punch out, but you're not going to chase. You're going to hit some homers. You may hit 230, but you're going to slug 450. And and at second base, we were talking about that, you know, on the top second base prospects episode, right? It's like, Defense. yeah, like yeah. you're not going to find Jose Altuve every day. You know, you're not going to find these. You're not going to find Ozzy Albies. It's, it's hard. Yeah, like Julianne's a more attainable goal at second yeah. base than Altuve or Albies. And I think there's a lot of value to be found. So, I mean, yeah, this is a guy that can hit 20 home runs um, and, and, and can steal 20 bags, you know, and that's pretty interesting. Again, I don't know if he hits enough at the big league level to do that, but I think you're going to get spurts of that ability off the bench uh, or in a platoon role that I think is pretty valuable. And I, I do believe that he has a chance to break camp with the Brewers. And if not, I think he could be up there very quickly this coming year. And there's a reason why the Brewers parted with two lower level prospects who they did have some investment in and, and did have some interest in to, to go get this guy. But again, I can understand Someone going with Josh Knott, an 18-year-old, you know, right-handed arm over a 26-year-old second baseman. Uh, but to me, this was just the proximity thing, and you know what I feel like is a high-probability big leaguer in some in some capacity. This is also a good skill set to kind of complement um, Bryce Terang because, like, yeah. offensively he supplies what, what Terang doesn't, and defensively yeah. Terang supplies what Dunn doesn't. Um, last thing on Oliver Dunn, quick addition off the dome. 
22 homers since his freshman year at Utah pre-2023. In 2023 alone, when you combine what he did in Reading and in the Fall League, 23 homers. So yeah. he hit more homers in 2023 since he has since since he has um, or then he has since the start of the 2017 season. That's crazy. Utah. That's crazy. I mean, the power's always been there. So it's nice to see him you know, consistently tapping into that now. Yeah. 14. Mike Bove. Uh, like, this is an interesting profile, man. I, I love the hit tool. And I mean, the guy hit 400 at Nebraska Omaha. Um, but I don't know what else is there. Um, it, it's interesting. So Bove, I, I, the swing, I mean, the bat speed's impressive. It's a flat swing from the left side, but he hits the ball hard. But it's going to be a lot of ground balls. It's going to be um, hard, low-line drives. And I do think that he's going to need to lean into a little bit more slug. To, to we're, we're talking about the, almost the same profile here, right? Like this is another guy that I think they're hoping can be kind of cut from that similar Julian cloth where it's, Hits the ball hard. The difference is he's going to be hit over over really everything. But in terms of defense, is not going to be a huge value here. It's going to be all about the bat, and the and the bat is a unique profile, right? Like that's what Bove kind of is here, where it's you're going to have above average hit, you're going to have average raw power. It's going to be a question of how much he taps into in games. Uh, he's fine on the base paths, kind of an opportunistic base dealer, whole, whole mix in some bags. And I think he's a fine defender at second or third arms a little bit short, but I mean, the guy hits and and that's kind of what they were looking for in the second round, because I think they, they, we'll talk about this 23 draft class. I mean, they go for a lot of upside in some spots. They, they do, they do some interesting things and they went for upside, obviously, you know, in the, in the first round as well. So um, guy hits and, you know, there's, there's some impacts potential there. It, he's just going to have to get the ball in the air a little bit more and, and the patience helps. And again, that's one of the themes that you're going to see here. A lot of low chase guys in this system, uh, yeah. which is, which is, you know, I think a, a good recipe to have. Yeah. Uh, nine punch outs and 211 plate appearances is a 4.2% K rate. I would absolutely draft a 4.2% K rate. I don't care yeah. if it's the summit league. I don't care if it's the sec. I would prefer if it was the sec over the summit league, but if I find it in the summit league, then I'll draft it. And he made a mockery of a complex and then he got to high A. Yeah. And he struggled a little bit. And, and I was watching some of those at-bats. Like, he just looked like he was seeing some stuff he'd never seen before. And and it makes sense. He was at Nebraska, Omaha. Um, you know, I, he was playing good, good competition from time to time. But I, he wasn't consistently seeing what he was consistently seeing uh, in, in high A. Uh, he, he showed all right on the Cape. You know, wasn't bad at all. Uh, which, you know, that's kind of all I want from those guys. Like, that's also a shock in itself. And, you know, OPS over 700 on the Cape. Like, that's always – that's always good when you hit 400 in, in the regular season, as long as there's not like a, a glaring struggle on the Cape. And I think that's why the Brewers ultimately selected him. But yeah, it's, it's going to be a matter of how much power he can tap into games to really, uh, I think, prove that he can be an everyday player. Right. Juan Baez. And this was a player that the more I watched, the more I started to really appreciate what this guy can do. $10,000 international free agent in, in, in 2022. So quickly, rising up the ranks for us, but he's a smaller guy, five, eight, five, nine. He's a pretty good defender at third and second. I think, I think he gets, doesn't get enough credit for, for what he can do in terms of you know, being able to showcase some good range, the arms fringy, but uh, his hands work well. And, and I thought the defensive tape was actually pretty good from both positions, but what stands out the most is this guy's field to hit, man. Um, he's just one of those guys where 
you look at the swing in terms of the pre-swing moves. The swing's great, but the pre-swing moves, and you're like, oh man, I, I, there's a lot going on there. But he always hits. Like it's like you know when you look at like Justin Turner, and you're like, how does that guy make so much contact with such a big leg kick and and and, and all that you got going on? And some guys are just built like that. Baez is kind of built like that, where it doesn't really matter. He's always on time. He, he's always in rhythm, and he makes a ton of contact. And there's another player in this system where they like to be very aggressive if you show that you can hit the ball. And remember, this is a cheap signing. This isn't Jackson Chorio for over a million dollars. This is a guy that they gave $10,000 to. He impressed them enough to where they pushed him to low A months after his 18th birthday. Hitting 370, 395, 557 at the complex will do that. Um, but what I also like is – the guys that we just mentioned are like, okay, w- what else is there beyond the bat, which also is a little one-dimensional? With Baez, he's, again, I think provides more defense than the aforementioned two. And he's a good runner. He's, he's probably slightly above average runner, but gets great jumps. 19 bags on 21 tries, but you, you see it in the defensive tape. You'll see it on the stolen bases. He's just got a quick first step. So I think he's a guy that will be able to mix in 15 you know, or so stolen bases every single year and provide legitimately solid defense at second or third with, with a above average hit tool. That'll play. Only thing I got to add is I had no idea one organization could spawn this many 18, 19, 20 year olds. Like everybody was in their age 18 or 19 season this past year. It's, it's amazing. And what's funny is I think they identify, and that's one of the trends is, they identify those 18 and 19 year olds that are way more advanced than anybody else really at their age. And then they can push them pretty quickly. And that's why they're on our prospect radar. Cause like we shouldn't even know who Juan Baez is. It's $10,000 signee a year ago. Um, those are usually the guys that are still at the DSL uh, that are just filling out the lineup. Um, right. and, and, and that's what's amazing about, you know, what, what these brewers have been able to do. Baez is not from uh, Venezuela, but, that's the final trend that we'll get into because you're going to start to see they crush it in Venezuela. Like yeah. they are, they are running in terms of like the baseball scouting there. Nobody is, is identifying the talent that the brewers are in Venezuela. And I'll start, I'll point out every player that they signed from Venezuela as we go through the rest of this, you know, top prospect list. Yeah. Number 11, Eric Patanti who was also part of this 23 class. What a, what a unique class in, in, in 23. I mean, they, they definitely um, identified just a lot of different intriguing players. But Eric Batanti is a big dude, a gay big dude. And you know, I do wonder what it's, it's all going to look like, but he's one of the youngest guys in the class. He was 17 years old uh, on draft day. He just turned 18 like, like a month ago. Yeah. 6'4", 225, moves his feet well. Uh, he played shortstop in high school. Now he's going to play third, but I think could be an above average defensive third baseman. I just don't know if he's going to hit enough. And my looks have just been far too limited for a guy like this. I need more than, you know, the, the, the summer circuit and some complex at bats to really dive into what the hit tool can look like. So this is a guy that was just, I think is hard to rank as anybody on this list. I will say it, it looks like the hit tool is, is going to be, you know, the biggest question and surprise, surprise with a six, four, 225 pound monster, right. 17, 18 years old. But you think about that and you're like, okay, this guy could have ridiculous power. So it's really hard. This is kind of just a wait and see guy. And I, I'll be honest, you just kind of like throw him somewhere. I, I really, the, the only way I could figure out how to rank this guy was 
would I take the upside over what I have with this guy? And I would say, no, 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 yes. And I said, yes, at Juan Baez. I said, no, on Carlos Rodriguez, we'll get to in a second. But, you know, I, I think, Jack, when we're talking about all these different players where we're waiting on some things to be ironed out offensively or, or to have some more yeah. clarity offensively. It is nice to, one, be waiting on that when the player just turned – it just became a legal adult. And, two, oh. they provide – good defense at third base or at their position. And three, you're like, well, what's it going to look like when he just fills out and just becomes more physical because you can just dream on so much more physically than the, the other names that we're talking about in the infield. Right. I mean, the, the fact that you've got early returns of like flawed approach at the plate, it might not even be approach. It's just like, you know, like I, I think it's just like, I'm too long. <laughs> I guess yeah. just, Right. So, but you have seen the flaws already in Pro Bowl, and those came in what, 12 games of the complex? Yeah. The fact that you've already seen some flaws in Pro Bowl and you still feel good enough to put this guy at 11 the first time he's on any sort of list aside from a draft list speaks to who he could become. And it's mm-hmm. very clear that, like, this guy can become something special because he's so big. Because he's a left-handed hitting, you know, power bat that's going to play a good third base. Like, there's the ceiling is so tantalizing, and that's just that's very clear. Even when you just look at the measurables, oh, hundred percent. And that's the interesting thing, dude. It's like, okay, if you, it's a unique profile, but if you hit two twenty, but you can hit thirty home runs, yeah, and play good defense at third, you're going to back into like a three four win season at least. Yes. Maybe more for probably four, four, four and change. So like what there's it, a lot of different ways to, to be valuable. And and I do think that there's a world where Batanti just leans into that power, um, improves the approach a little bit, which is you know a theme through the system is most players do have the good approach. I think for Batanti, it was just like youngest guy in this in this area and in most of the summer circuits and just being so long. I just don't think it allowed him to really make those good decisions as we talked about on the second base episode. Right. Like. Swing decisions aren't just always, this is my plan. Swing decisions are also, when I'm efficient and quick to the ball, I have more time to execute my plan and and, and pick up spin and just decide whether I'm going to swing or not. I think Batanti just felt rushed right now, um, which is very normal for a 17-year-old at the complex. So Isak Paredes in 2022, 111 games, you know, hit 205, but had 20 homers and played good defense at third base. It was still a two and a half win season. I mean, that's, that's like, a good player, though. <laughs> that's a good player. And then he levels up this year and he hits 250 instead of 205 and 20 jumps to 31 and he's a four and a half win player. Yeah. And somewhere between that, you're an everyday, really solid player for a lot of I teams. Mean, dude, maybe even the low end, like you're an everyday yeah. guy. We were you're an everyday player, player for a lot of teams. Yeah, so I, I'm. This is one of the players that I'm just most intrigued on the wait and see. I do think that there, it's going to be a process, though. So you're just going to have to be patient on a guy sure. like him. We're going to get into Carlos Rodriguez in the top ten in a moment, but before that, a quick break. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn five dollars into one hundred and fifty dollars instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code Champion One Hundred and Fifty. Then. 
place a $5 wager on any sport, you'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C. Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Carlos Rodriguez. This was another player that in a different way kind of gave me a headache. It's funny because it's more of a headache of like, I think he's really solid and safe. But what can I dream on? And how do I compare that to Eric Batanti? <laughs> like, it's just really hard. This is where I always joke, like I'll point it out in certain episodes. Like this is where prospect ranking gets in a little bit you know, convoluted, right? I'm, I'm, I'm ranking a, a young arm, you know, a young arm, but I'm ranking a guy that you know, his ceiling and his floor are, are about as wide enough to just fit him in it. Uh, and, and that's about it. So it's like you're looking at a probably a five starter but probably a five starter. Uh, so like that's, that's good. Right. So it, it's hard to compare that to a guy that you know, could flame out in double a, or could hit 30 bumps at the big league level. And, and, and welcome to, you know, what is so difficult about, you know, the, these types of things, but what makes it really fun. Carlos Rodriguez gets the edge here because of the fact that, you know, not only is he a, a big league starter, I, I think he showed some good things at the end of last year. I've been waiting and waiting and waiting to see how those breaking balls progress. And look, are they going to be great now? But I do think that he has improved them to the point to where he, uh, he can mix those in the curveball got a lot better as the year went on. That used to just be like a a steel strike pitch. The slider was, was solid for him, but of course it's all about the plus plus changeup. And that pitch is disgusting. He throws it more than his fastball. And that's kind of a concern. You know, I'd like to see him, you know, have a little bit more confidence in the rest of his arsenal. But when your changeup is getting 41% within the zone, <laughs> just throw that thing all the time. That changeup is going to make him a big league arm in some capacity. But the field of pitch, the assortment of pitches is a fastball, slider, changeup, cutter, curveball. And it's a four-seamer and a two-seamer. Like, he's just going to be able to, to, I think, Javier Assad his way through lineups. And, and I think that's kind of the comp. Can I can I give you another comp like a I think worst case scenario for him, Jarrell Cotton. <laughs> you remember yeah. Jarrell Cotton? Yeah, and like Cotton had some, Cotton, some pretty good flashes. No, that's the thing. Yeah, so like he came up his first five starts in the big leagues in 2016. He had two one five ERA in his first 29 innings. Like 29 and a third in 2016. 23 punch outs, four walks. He had a two one five ERA. So I think the A's looked at him as like. You're a legitimate prospect. And then 2017, 129 innings, he had a five and a half ERA. Um, But he was like good as a reliever after that. And he was a one trick pony. He had a Mm -hmm. change up and that was about it. And this guy did have a four year big league career. He threw 230 major league innings. So like change up exclusive was enough to get him several big league opportunities. Carlos Mm -hmm. Rodriguez is going to get several big league opportunities. 
the changeup is probably better than Cotton yeah. because at 21 years old, he dominated the minor leagues. Like he was yeah. one of the better pitchers. I think he was first team all minor league baseball for us at just baseball. I mean, he he and he threw a lot of innings, and that's the thing too is I think he can eat innings, and that's yeah. important too. Like if you're gonna give me a mid fours, but you can throw 180 innings, that's also extremely valuable. We're seeing guys like that get paid quite a bit, and the the yeah. ability to kind of massage his way through lineups, the the control was good. The command's got to get a little bit better, but yeah. I just feel good about this guy being able to, I think, stick in a rotation, uh, be that kind of five starter that you plug in and just eat innings and, and, and keep you in a ball game where he can give you five, six of three, four runs and you feel decent about it. And he's still very young. So he can, he can still develop further with the secondary stuff and um, the cutter being an option for him, you know, to run in on left-handed hitters, uh, the, the, the fastball having a little bit better shape uh, than I think many would expect. And then the two breaking balls, he's got enough going for him there. By the way, I just got down the Jarrell Cotton rabbit hole. Uh, 2016, opponents were one for 30 against his changeup and the one hit Holy was a crap. <laughs> That's, That's not Carlos bad. Rodriguez. Like, he can't do that. He can't do one for 30, but he can keep guys off balance enough. The gold standard when it comes to changeup primary guys is is probably Marco Estrada. And and I think that's a guy that was a five for a long time, and and that's what you can hopefully pencil in and dream on for this guy. Yeah. Well, opponents were 18 for 123 against Carlos Rodriguez's yeah. changeup this past year. That's a 140 batting average, 440 OPS. So right. So it's not one for 30, but it's closer than you may think. Yeah, it's it's pretty damn good. Another interesting piece from this draft class, Cooper Pratt. Um, again, they they just got creative in this 23 class, man. They they get Pratt in the sixth round and they give him 1.3 million dollars which is obviously overslot in the sixth round. And he was viewed as a strong commit to Ole Miss. But the way he showed on the summer circuit as one of the more polished hitters and also at 6'4", 190 pounds with the potential to stick at shortstop, that was enough for, for the Brewers to say, hey, let's let's try to you know, sign this guy away. And again, limited looks. I, I thought Pratt looked very good, though, in, in the summer circuit. And then I thought he looked really good uh, in, in his pro debut at the complex where like it, it's a simple short and, and direct swing that like, I do think you, know, you think of like DJ LeMay, right? That swing's not really geared for power, right? He, he's strong enough and powerful enough to, to probably hit for more power. So I hate saying gap to gap because you, you think of like Juan Baez when you say gap to gap, but right now it seems like he, his swing is geared for gap to gap, but he makes a lot of contact. He hits the ball hard in the gaps and he's comfortable, you know, catching the ball really deep, driving it wherever. And, you know, you'll see flashes of, of I'd say, average EVs already to the pull side. But he doesn't like to just kind of sell out and go to the pull side. I think there's a potential for above average hit. We'll see how he progresses. This is another big wait and see guy because is he going to throw on 20, 30 pounds? Maybe not because he wants to stick it short. Uh, if that's the case, then, yeah, maybe it's more of that, you know, DJ LeMayhew type of approach where you're leaning into the hit tool and, just a lot of doubles. Um, so I, I'm, I'm kind of waiting to see what it all looks like for Cooper Pratt, but I feel very confident in the hit tool. I think there's enough impact there, even if he doesn't add much strength to, you know, be able to provide enough doubles and sprinkle in some home runs. And on top of that, plus arm, or at least very close to it, I'd say above average at the very least, moves his feet well and looks like despite his size, 
He has a legit shot at sticking a shortstop. If not, if he moves to third, then he'd be an excellent defender there. And then you'd be leaning even further into the DJ LeMahieu stuff. But of course, the hit tool is never going to be DJ LeMahieu. But again, it's just like that loose profile. Yeah. So showcase culture is something that we can get into on a later episode. I think that's an episode in its own right. Like it's not just a little subtopic here. Um, but it, there's something about a perfect game page where every number is good that you're like, mm-hmm. okay, you know, I, I understand this. And this cat, you know, is like Evie a 93 in high school. And, you know, that's tracked like winter between your junior and senior year of high school. 93 is a good mark. But he was 91 off the mound, which speaks to the plus you know, arm that you're talking about. And he ran a six, seven, 60 yard dash. Like those two numbers in its own right, prove that this guy is a freak athlete. And you just yep. look at photos of him. You watch video of him. You realize that he is a physical specimen. So you're taking an 18 year old physical specimen already. And you give him several years in a major league baseball strength and conditioning program and, and a training regimen and a nutritionist. This guy could be one of those where it's like he passes the eye test, the airport test. We like calling it the airport test. You point to him and it's like he's the best player on the team. That's the kind of guy Cooper Pratt could be. And that's why I usually don't like make predictions in the write ups. But in that in the last sentence of that write up, I just said Pratt could make some noise in 2024 because I just think this is a guy that could, for all the reasons you just laid out, could explode in 24, um, adding a little bit of strength maintaining that mobility still. And if he does that and got plenty of guys can do that, look out. Like it, it could be really, really fun to, to see what that turns into. Number nine, Eric Brown Jr., a player that I think is still waiting to really show what he is capable of. And, and I think he is capable of pretty good things at shortstop. First round pick in 2022. A guy that I think has an above average field to hit is, is an above average runner. He has the tools to be an above average defensive shortstop and the power. Look, it, it's, it's not going to be a part of his game. That is, you know, I think really integral, but I do think there's a mu- enough juice there to, to be somebody that can you know fight off the, the three, three, three slash line, right? Like I do think that there's 10 to 15 home runs in there. And I do think that there's enough doubles in there. Uh, he, he gets into some, some power on the pole side. He'll run into some baseballs, but what it really is all about here, I think, is the above average hit, the good approach, the above average run, and the above average defense that you hope he grows into. It's one of the more unorthodox swings you're going to see. And I know people are – it's not really the swing. It's a setup. I know people are probably like worried about that. How, how does that work? How does it look? Whatever. I mean, his hands start in front of his head. The barrel is almost across the brim of his helmet. And it's a big leg kick, but his feet start next to each other. And as he's pulling his hands back, like slowly, that's when he gets into this big leg kick. And he's so athletic and balanced that he's like pretty deep into his back hip, almost tilted. You'll see his hips tilted upwards. He's really doing that to keep his weight back. And as he's getting this, you know, as he's gaining ground with his front leg, he's pulling back with his hands. And this allows him to kind of maintain this center of gravity. I I don't know if you should call it center of gravity because it's really over his back leg, but maintain this balance over his back leg and stay back. So that's why he makes a ton of contact and you can't really argue against the hit tool, what through college through like spurts on the Cape. And then even so far in pro ball, but the question is how much power is there? And and we're going to have to wait and see, 
he's been hurt and that sucks. I actually saw, I was going through his defensive clip and I saw the clip where he uh, broke his, his fractured a scapula last year. And it just sucked. He was going to make a play, got taken out a second and, and just fell right on that shoulder. It could have been worse, you know, all things considered, um, you know, with his, with that throwing arm, but he's all good. Now saw him at the AFL. He looked really good there. I saw him run into some baseballs. I also saw him battle 15 pitch at bat, just spoiling tough pitches, just, just a, a grinder. Uh, and then defensively dude, like he's got the tools to be a really good shortstop. Uh, he makes some some highlight real plays. I was sending you some. The arm is was a question before. I think it's more than fine at shortstop. The range is impressive. He makes these acrobatic plays, but <laughs> there's sometimes where you're just like, he made the play a little bit harder than he needed to be. Like where a ball is hit right at him, he'll drop to a knee, and sometimes it'll eat him up or it'll make him rush the throw. Like he, that's the one bad habit I saw like pretty consistently dropping to a knee pretty frequently. Um, the other thing is. Uh, there's balls to like his left. He does this like the spin that he'll do. Sometimes the spin wasn't like totally necessary or the spin would take a little bit too long and guys would beat it out. And sometimes he'd kind of feel a, a ball off to the side a little bit with one hand and bring it over to his hand. And that would contribute to like additional errors that I think are very avoidable with his skill set. So that's why when you look at the fielding percentage or you'll get some of the fielding grades, it, it might not reflect a guy that's going to stick it short. But I think he has all the goods to stick it short. It's just a matter of the fundamentals and cleaning things up. And he lost out on a lot of reps over the last year or so. Yeah, I mean, he just seems smooth. Like, that's the one word I would use for him. And and maybe smooth to a fault at points. Um, but smooth is, like, kind of the name of the game for him. And the setup is always interesting because, you know, we, we always make fun of the guys with, like, the weirdest setups, right? Kevin Euclid. Kevin Euclid was a 10-year big leaguer because he got to the right point in his load. It doesn't matter where you start. It's it's where you are when the ball leaves the pitcher's hand. And Brown's in a good spot when the ball leaves yeah. the pitcher's hand. That's very clear. So yeah. throw those stance concerns out the window. Like There's a reason Gary Sheffield is a Hall of Fame caliber player. Like Nobody would ever preach whatever Gary Sheffield did before the ball came. But when the ball came, I think every hitting coach in America – yeah. should be preaching what Gary Sheffield did. Um, I, I think the stance stuff is, is overrated. But, uh, yeah, defensively, I saw the same thing you did. It's like, oh, this guy is, like, really talented. Just, like, if you can be fundamentally sound and have the bedrock of solid fundamentals and then expand to the flashy plays, do that. Definitely yeah. do that. Yeah, and, and, and I think that's going to come. I really do. And, and I'm interested to see, you know, just – Working with, and I think he probably worked on it a bit in the AFL. I thought the defense actually looked good in the AFL. And I think working with you now the upper minor staff and yeah, you know, and obviously double A is usually where the staff kind of kicks into gear a little bit more. And right. and then potentially at the big league level, we could see that defense really progress. The exit velocities again, like 90th percentile of 102, like that's that's enough it, it, as long as he starts to drive the ball in the air and he started to drive the ball in the air more consistently. I think the pull side power flashes average, which is more than enough when you chase only 20% of the time. You make zone con- zone contact rate around 88%. I think this could be uh, like a, a Nico Horner light type of profile. But if he, if Nico Horner light wasn't forced to move to second base and play shortstop, it's still a four, four win player. So, like, I think there's a, a path to that. And at the very least, I think he's a very high probability utility piece at the big league level who can steal bags. He's an efficient base stealer who can play three different defensive spots and. I think make a lot of contact. 
Yeah. Last thing on on Eric Brown Jr. We were talking about it via text, and I said, "Have the Brewers fixed a middle infielder in recent memory?" And the answer is yes. Like it, Arcia needed no fixing. Terang was already a good defender when he was drafted, so like you didn't need to fix him. But the answer is Willie Adamas, mm-hmm. and, and that happened at the big league level. But Adamas was a slightly below average defender at shortstop, and he was in Tampa. And then all of a sudden, he comes to Milwaukee, and he becomes a good defensive shortstop. So. You trust that the Brewers know what they're doing because there is precedent there in Adamas. Yep, absolutely. I'm with you. Number eight, Robert Gasser. Gasser, like a, he's a high probability big league arm again here too now, right? I mean, you've got a number four, number five starter almost for sure. There's a chance he could be a little bit more. Uh, left-hander that I thought really kind of put it all together after a shaky finish to last year. He's going to be 25 or, or close to it at the start of the season. And I think he probably breaks camp. I think he, he's got a spot in the rotation. Uh, I haven't like mapped it all out, but I think there's a good chance he could snag one. Super funky. We've talked about him in the past. I mean, it's a low. It's like a 5-1 release, super horizontal as well from the left side. And that helps his entire arsenal play up because he doesn't really have a plus pitch. But the fastball plays up to above average. And he's another guy with multiple fastballs, right? He's got the... The, the four-seamer that gets whiff at the top of the zone, and he has a sinker that is his one ground ball pitch. It's a fly ball pitcher, so it's good to have that one pitch that gets him some ground balls. Cutter that he likes to use to, to get in on the hands of righties, and that was a pitch that he, he added in more recently and, and has been a good offering for him to be able to spell, you know, I think, the opposite-handed hitters because the changeup just was not coming along. So great to be able to mix that in. And then the slider is is a really good pitch. And, and what's what's great about it is, Again, if you looked at the, the track man shape in a vacuum, probably not a in above average pitch, probably average, but it plays up because he extends so far out horizontally that it looks like it's getting another four inches of, of sweep, which is insane because it already gets like 17 inches of sweep. And, and on top of that, his feel for it's fantastic. He will back door righties. He will back leg them at the same time. He will throw it all the time to lefties. Obviously, it's a nightmare for lefties from that release point. And the deception really works well for him because he stays close for so long that, of course, that's going to be a nightmare left on left when the ball's coming from first base. But righties don't pick it up early either because he stays close for so long. His arm is behind him for so long that it seems like the arm's the last thing that comes towards him. And it's hard to separate. Is it a slider? Is it a cutter? Is it a fastball? Is it the sinker going the other way? So he, he actually really improved his splits last year too. And I, I have, I'd put a lot of money on this guy being a big league four. Um, I, I would. Yeah, so just looking at the Brewers situation right now, Corbin Burns, is he there? I, don't, I have no idea, but we're yeah. slotting in Burns as the opening day starter in the one. Freddie Peralta is the two. Wade Miley, they just re-signed. He's the three. After that, your options are Colin Ray, Joe Ross, Aaron Ashby coming off of injury, Bryce Wilson, Jansen Junk. I think there's a world where you can warrant Gasser and Rodriguez starting the majority of the year for the Milwaukee Brewers. Yeah. And I like it. I, I think see, Gasser's ready, even more right, so than Do you want to see Gasser or do you want to see Joe Ross? I, I, <laughs> I'd rather watch Gasser. Yeah. Um, give me give me Gasser for sure. Joe Ross was throwing hard at the end of last year, though. I will say that. It's nice to see him uh, you know, having this little, little comeback here. But, yeah, give All me right, give Gasser me or Colin Gasser. Ray. Let, let's play this game. <laughs> Don't need to. <laughs> Don't need to. Um, I, I, like, you've seen some Gasser, too, man, like, do you think there's more than a four in there? Um, no, but I think a four is likely. Like I, yeah. I think he is the three slash four. He's a three and a half in my mind. 
yeah. because he's got a bunch of different pitches that he'll go to. And I saw some weird outings where like he was throwing five or six different pitches and he was throwing each of them 20 times. And I was like, yeah, like, Just what's going on? on? <laughs> yeah, he's working on it, clearly. Um, when he gets to the big league level, he's not going to be working on things. He's going to be going to his bread and butter. So I, I saw the change up probably more than I should and probably more yeah, than any I, big league hitter will. Yeah, I agree. That's I think that thing will be gone. So it'll be and that sinker serves almost the same purpose. This changeup would get so firm on him that it was almost the same speed as the sinker. And the right. sinker gets like 16 inches of horizontal. That'll achieve the same purpose when you have a cutter, you know, bearing in on guys that are right handers. And then you get the sinker working the other way from that release point. It, it'll be just fine. So I, I'm looking forward to it. If he saw a tick up, maybe he could get to a three. I just don't see a tick up here with him. I think he's pretty maxed out. And he's already kind of enjoyed that that tick up from from college. And, and then he again in, in professional baseball. Number seven, Brock Wilkin. And this is a tough guy to rank, but honestly, he's seven more so. I think it's more so a testament to the rest of the system um, yep. because we're, we're going to have five top 100 guys and then a sixth guy who I think is knocking on the door. And we're going to talk about him in a moment. Wilkin, look, I'm worried about a couple things with Wilkin. He may have to move to first base. That part of it obviously puts more pressure on the bat. He may whiff too much, so that puts a lot of pressure on the ability to hit home runs. What I do like is he made some small adjustments going into 2023. I'm just looking at the college video progressively. A little bit more into his legs. He used to be very, very vertical. He's still pretty vertical, but a little bit more into his legs. And what I like is, is he's an aware hitter. Like You can tell that he wants to make things as simple as possible. I'm a big dude. I'm 6'4", 230. I got long levers. I need to make things short and as simple and repeatable as possible. And then even starting a little bit more into his backside was, was leaning into that even further. And that resulted in, you know, cutting his strikeout rate from his sophomore to junior year by, I believe it was six or 7%, right? He went from like 24 and a half percent to, I think it was 18% uh, the next year. He, he upped his walk rate to also c- cut down uh, the, the chase a lot. And again, I honestly think that that was less of, I'm going to swing less. That was more of, I'm in my position to hit earlier. My moves are way simpler and I'm seeing the ball earlier. He cut that chase rate in his junior year down to like 14% from like 20%. So walking more, striking out less, continuing to hit a ton of home runs. He's tied for the ACC record with 71. I have no question that this guy is going to get into his powering games. He lifts. He executes his approach well in terms of hunting the pitches that he can lift and, and, that's all going to work. He didn't put up great numbers against breaking balls in college. Kind of concerning because those aren't great breaking balls overall. They're getting better in the ACC and the SEC. It's, it's good stuff, but like you're the 18th overall pick here. Um, and, you know, the arm is is a freaking howitzer. Like it's, it's a plus plus arm. He moves his feet well enough to be like a, potentially an okay defender there. But if he gets bigger and slows down a little bit more, he could move to first. I'm going to say that he ends up sticking at third and is a fringy defender there. But again, like he's got to really hit. It's got to be, he's got to hit 30 home runs to be, to be a, 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 an everyday big leaguer. And I think he can, but he can. That's, that's tough. It is tough. It's really tough. But if, if there's anything to be learned about his Wake Forest career, it's that he can. You've got here ACC record, 71 career homers. He tied the ACC record. I want to run through guys with 31 or more homers in a single season at the college level since 2000. Um, Jack Caglione this past year had 33 
in 71 games. Nate Gold at Gonzaga in 2002 had 33. Ivan Melendez last year, 32 in 65 games. Billy Becker in New Mexico State in 2003. Then Brock Wilkin and Chris Bryant each had 31 apiece. Wilkin this past year in 66 games. Bryant 31 in 62 games. Brock Wilkin was the best hitter on the best team in college baseball this year. He was better than Nick Kurtz. Um, Kurtz, <laughs> Kurtz had a 1,300 OPS this yeah. past year, <laughs> but so did Wilkin. Wilkin was better than that. And, you know, there's something to be said about making mincemeat of the second best conference in America. A hundred percent. And the thing is, is I do feel like there's a high probability of Wilkin at least being a, a and this is on the low end, a, a big league power platoon bat that, you know, like if, if like you look at like a CJ Crone type or something like that, like that has stretches where he's mashing and then, you know, the inconsistency is a little frustrating, but the upside of course is sticks at third hits 30 homers, probably hits for a low batting average, but walks a ton. And that's your classic slugging third baseman that, you know, I, I think could be a really good ball player. What's interesting with Wilkin too, is, you know, the big reason why they were able to have this interesting draft in terms of, getting the upside and things like that. They underswatted him slightly, right? I believe if you look at the, the signing bonuses, he was the 24th most expensive signing bonus at, at 3.1 million, right? So that they, they probably saved what half a mil. I don't know what the slot value was there, but I know they saved some money on that Wilkin pick. If I'm not mistaken, I'm going to it right now. Uh, Brock uh, Wilkin. Let's see. Slot value I know was, was 4.02. They saved, they paid him 3.15 the slot was 4.02. So they saved yeah, about so 900 a million bucks. I mean, that, that yeah. pretty much helped them get Cooper Pratt, helped them get some of these other guys. And, you know, I think they liked Wilkin enough. You know, was he probably their number one player on the board there? Eh, probably not. But if it allowed them to go get some guys that were not far off on their board, makes sense. And, you know, I, I think that's how you got to look at it too. Um, they, they probably, they, they felt like they were drafting Wilkin at the end of the first round uh, yeah. rather than closer to the middle. Checking in at number six, and this was an entire conversation here, man, because like, okay, how, how far can we push? How far can I reasonably push this guy uh, without being ridiculous? Because I'm all the way in. And, you know, you told me I was okay at number six with Yafri Rodriguez and Yafri Rodriguez. I mean, the, the, the power, the already that we're seeing for a guy that is so advanced in terms of the hit tool, like no 17 year old should be as advanced as, as Yafri Rodriguez is with the bat. And he's cut from the same cloth as a couple other prospects that we're going to talk about where it's just, you can understand why the Brewers shot out 1.5 million to, to sign him. And, you know, that's more than they signed that, that they signed Luis Lara for, you think who was like 1.1 and almost as much as they signed Jackson Chorio for, which was $1.8 million. They seem to identify these younger guys uh, that, and especially in IFA, it's really tough to find polish, but they seem to do it really well. And Rodriguez is just a perfect example of that. And we saw it immediately when he got into uh, the Dominican Summer League where, I mean, look, he was running a chase rate below 20%. He, he looks super comfortable. The field of hit is so impressive where I, he's got that relaxed, upright, left-handed setup. Hands are very just loose. And then he gets into this smooth, rhythmic leg kick and lets it eat. But he's very under control. His lower half is already very powerful uh, and, and adjustable. And that allows him to be able to, even when he was a little bit early or a little bit out front, he could drive balls the other way with authority. He would sneak into some already average power to the pull side. And it's just a, I was sending you swings, man. It is a very aesthetically pleasing left-handed swing. 
with the power potential that he has on top to, to be able to fill out a little bit more physically with the adjustability as in the lower half, with the feel that he has for the barrel already and the bat speed that he generates, I, I, I could see a plus hit tool. I could see above average power from the left side with the chance to stick in center. Like to me, that's, that's a borderline top 100 prospect and uh, you know, the number six prospect in a very good system. Yeah, I mean, he is he's a freshman that carries himself like a senior, that that plays like a senior, right? He is um he's a 17-year-old that you would never expect to be 17 years old. And I think that's what they ID'd with Chorio. And Chorio, like again, he, he, it's gonna be so sneaky how young that guy is. And I'm I don't want to compare him to Chorio, who's a top three prospect in baseball. I don't want to compare him to Juan Soto, who is a generational talent, but there's a certain thing to be said about comfort in teenagers when you first get into pro ball. And it's yeah. clear that this guy is a very comfortable 17-year-old in pro ball. He just turned yeah. 18 on December 5th. He's a 2005 baby, like end of 2005. <laughs> yeah, yeah, which is crazy. And and again, like I, it's just so rare to see swings that advanced at that level. We talk about Ramon yeah. Ramirez. We talk about a couple other guys. like They just stand out so glaringly because – it's just hard to find. And I feel like he's the type of guy. There's a theme through this system where these players that stand out in the DSL, they've skipped the complex or fly right through the complex and then get to low A at a young age and then reach high A sometimes in their 18th birthday. Satorio reach high A, I think, or reach double A, uh, I think, before his 19th birthday. So I think Rodriguez could be the next example of that. You know, Laura was pushed aggressively. Caro was pushed aggressively. I think Rodriguez is going to be pushed relatively aggressively because of the approach, because of the field of hit, and the power that he's already starting to get into. The jumps in center field were were shaky. Okay, he's 17. Probably has barely played any, like, legitimate outfield in terms of, of reading, you know, balls off the bat at 9,500 miles an hour uh, or more. So, you know, he's going to get more comfortable out there. If he has to move to a corner, his arm's strong enough, you know, and, and he's fast enough. But I, it's all about the bat for me here. And I think you get the potential for plus hit tool and above average pop, which, yeah, if, if that translates into full season ball, he will be a top 100 prospect without a doubt. Uh, so look out for Yafri Rodriguez, one of my favorite picks uh, of, of just a guy to climb uh, going into 2024. Cool. We get into the top 100 guys in this list and the top five here in the Milwaukee Brewers system. Before that, one more quick break. Number five, Tyler Black. And we've talked Black for a little bit here because you saw him in person in AAA. I was able to catch him in person in AAA and just been watching him for a little bit now. It's just a unique profile. Another player, I think the Brewers, you can look at some of the drafting and they don't care about the defense too much. Uh, They want a guy that can hit. They want a guy with a good approach and they'll figure the rest out. And and Black is exactly that. It's above average hit. He is a great runner now. I mean, he's an above average runner, but a great base stealer, which is, I think, a wrinkle in his game that they probably weren't even expecting when they took him 33rd overall in 2021. And beyond that, there's some sneaky pop in there too. He's been he started to tap into some more impact, added you know a couple ticks to the to the 90th percentile EV, but did not start whiffing anymore than than he was before. So when you see that uptick to at least average power now, and it didn't come at the expense of of any hit, and he's become a menace on the base paths. Tower Black's a big leaguer and probably a pretty good one. 
Yeah, I mean, he got better in every facet when he made the jump from double A AA to AAA, which which I thought was really interesting. And the the one thing, because I think I called his AAA debut, um, and Black, I was like, you know, you look at the numbers, and the big takeaway you have is high efficiency base stealer, and the, that guy stole a bunch of backs in Biloxi. And you look at that, but you also had the first round pedigree, and you know that this guy can swing it a bit. So I was like prepping everybody. I was like, hey, get ready to watch Tyler Black. And if he gets on base, you know, he's he's a threat to go at any point. What I picked up from that week was this guy is way more serviceable at third base than I was expecting him to be. And he is like never thrown off offensively. Like over the course of at-bats, they were always long and he like he always looked in control of the AB. There was never a moment where he was on his heels. And like with all that being said, like, those are things that I don't think you can really teach to anybody, especially when you get past like high A. He was yeah. on the attack at every stage in the game for a week. And I I was in love. Another another low chase guy, right? I mean, it, running a chase rate below 20% but still being aggressive in the right spots, like, like you mentioned and, and tapping into that, you know, power to the pool side. Here's a perfect example for those watching on YouTube. Like if you leave it middle in, he's going to, he's going to crush it, you know, pool side and he'll get into one just to see the balance of the walk, low strikeout, decent field to hit, and then enough power that he can lean into in the right spots. It's just so easy to see how this this profile is going to work out. I mean, he's going to be able to hit in the high, you know, mid to high two hundreds. I think he could be a two seventy five hitter, right? And then you get enough walks to really bolster that OBP, and then enough slug, just enough slug to to give you a really solid slash line. It's not going to translate the same way, you know, at the big league level. But two eighty four, four sixteen, five twelve slash line last year in the minor leagues, like that's what all of his different skills coming together looks like, and the speed helping him to twelve triples as well. The, the the fact that he can steal all these bags as well really helps. I'm you know I'm concerned about what the defense looks like over 162 at a specific spot, but maybe they you know the third base defense has come along to the point where like you mentioned it could be passable. And if that's the case, everything else is going to be extremely valuable and he's going to be a very fun player. That again, I another guy big league ready for the Brewers. Let's play the kids this year, I guess. If you're gonna if you're gonna trade Adamas and if you're not gonna you know, be that keen on on winning now. Um, yeah. There's a lot of fun kids that, that can be in the lineup that can make this Brewers team, you know, kind of our, our, our one of our favorites to watch. So if if they do trade Adamas, you would want to see Terang at short, Black at third, and Don Probably. at second? Probably, yeah. Yeah, and Monasterio just kind of bouncing around. Yes, yeah. Play the kids. Got you. <laughs> Number four, Luis Laura, a guy that, you know, we've been higher on I think than anybody almost uh, over the last year or so, just a phenomenal hitter. And here's the first of three Venezuelans. And when three of your top four prospects are from the same spot, it shows you just they, they've been really successfully identifying players out there. A 70 hit tool. And I, I think it's one of the better hit tools in the minor leagues. And then you also have just enough, you know, impact there where I think it's gap to gap. He's not the most projectable guy, but I do think he'll go grow into enough power to where he'll be a doubles machine, but an above average runner, good defender in center field, fantastic baseball instincts overall, and just a, just a knack for playing the game. Like he, he just seems like the game kind of comes a little bit slower to him. 
but it really is all about the hit tool. I think this guy could hit, you know, over 300 as a switch hitter uh, sticking in center field that that's going to play. And that's why he's the top 60 prospect for us in baseball. Yeah. So now that the full season debut is under his belt, where has your stance gone on him? Cause like, the overall slash line between low A and high A, 286, 373, 359. He had 13 doubles. He had three triples, two homers, and he was 30 for 40 in the stolen base department. Um, he didn't punch out and he walked. Where, like, are you still firm in, yeah, this guy's 60? Do you think he's a top 50 guy? Do you think he's dropped a little bit? Exactly where where we had him. I think he did exactly what. I thought he would do it, to be honest, like, which is, which is nice because <laughs> there's so much variance with these young guys. He was 18, 18 right. in low A and, and did right. those things, you know, and, and, and high A as well. Like I, to, to be 18 between low A and high A and, and do what he did, like I, that's some pretty impressive stuff. I mean, in 17 high A games, dude, I know the slug wasn't there, but to, to, to be 20 for, for 69, uh, to, to steal bags efficiently, to, to mix in, you know, four extra base hits there with two doubles and, and two triples and, and, and not strike out much. Like, I, I just, I think that there's going to be a little bit more impact as he just matures. He's five, nine, like one fifty right now. Right. Um, one fifty one sixty. So like, I think there's going to be a little bit more in there and, and that'll take care of itself, but you can't really teach a lot of the instincts that he has. He's going to be a center fielder for sure, which I love. And again, like he's not going to strike out. He's going to make a ton of contact. The ceiling might be a little bit capped, but uh, sign me up for a player like this any day of the week, especially as a switch hitter. For sure. Number three, <laughs> Jacob Mizorowski. What a fun profile. Six, seven, 200 pounds, second round pick uh, that, you know, at a Juco Crowder community college. If I remember correctly, it's Crowder. Um, I mean, dude, it's an 80 fastball. <laughs> it's a, a curveball slash sweeper that could yeah, really be a, a plus plus pitch. Then you get a cutter. It's just a bizarre, insane cutter that he throws in like the mid 90s. It sometimes backs up on him, sometimes cuts, sometimes just goes straight and floats. Sometimes it's, I don't even know. It's just a, it's a, it's a wild card pitch. It must be a nightmare catching Jacob Mizorowski to be totally honest. But um, at the same time, it's way more of a nightmare to try to hit him. I don't know what it's going to look like at the end of the day, but I know that it has a chance to look devastating and look like something we've never really seen before to get the extension that he gets to throw that fastball from such a low release while getting that kind of extension. And Oh, by the way, he reaches one Oh two. I mean, this guy could probably throw his fastball 70% of the time and have massive success, but it, it does help that he's also got, a freak breaking ball and a really, really good cutter uh, when he's commanding it. Yeah. Isn't, isn't Savant tracking swords now Did I, yes. did I read that? Yes, yes you did. Okay. So what I will say is like Dylan Cease led the, led the league in swords this past year, if I'm not mistaken. Um, Mizorowski is like lead the league in swords type good. And, oh, and there yeah. were a couple in the futures game that were clipped and he was kind of like the viral star from the futures game because pitching ninja was on it. And, and all that, um, he is, I don't know, it, it almost kind of seems like he is a highlight real pitcher right now where the stuff is so ridiculously good. My question is, is it sustainable over 150? And the answer right now is no, but he's no. also 21. Um, yeah. The talent, like pitch by pitch in a vacuum, if you go like pound for pound, best fighter in the world, whatever, pitch for pitch, 
he's probably the best pitcher in minor league baseball. But the cohesion of all of it and the overall product like needs some work, like a fine tuning, which is why he's not a top three pitching prospect in baseball. He's a top five or six pitching prospect. in baseball. Yeah, because it could it could be the best. Right. (laughs) There's a result where he is one of the best pitchers in the game. There's also a result where he's, you know, Nate Pearson. A reliever that pisses you off. Yeah, yeah, like, like, and I know that he's he's got way better underlying stuff than Nate Pearson, but there's a world where it's just Nate Pearson frustrating, you know, where it's just like, come on, uh, how is this not working the way the way we thought it could? And his last start of the season was was his best, and it still is like weirdly frustrating. <laughs> Double A against Mississippi, six innings, one hit, no runs. That's awesome, right? Twelve Ks, three walks, two hit by pitch. So it's just like that's five free passes. I, and and that's a scary thing too. This dude hits a lot of guys. He hits a lot of dudes. This he hit five dudes. Um, you know, like th- that's a problem. He hit four guys before that too, like a couple starts before that. Um, you know, that's the same thing as a is a free pass. We don't really look at that because it's not usually a problem enough, right? But like his hit by pitch rate was higher than than I think Drew Thorpe's walk rate. So like that's a problem. Um especially when the walk rate's not low either. Like I, I've never thought about conflating walk rate and hit by pitch rate, but you might have to do that with Mizorowski until he irons that out. And it happens because that arm lags and that's part of what makes him so nasty, but the ball just can get away from him to his arm side. And he just, he just hits dudes. Um, strike rate of 59% last year, like that holds him back, but Maybe he just leans into the fastball and and throws it even more. But he threw it 63% of the time last year. So I, I don't know how much more usage he can get away with there. And it's not like the fastball commands elite either. It's 60% strike rate on the fastball. So he's just going to need to find a way to, to be in the zone a little bit more. He, he could be a, a high walk guy. We talk about Dylan Cease. Like he could be that that template. But he's got to be a little bit more in the zone. That said, it's Jacob Mizorowski against Jacob Mizorowski. Because yes. the guys against him, it didn't matter. 169, 325, 241 slash line last year with a 35% K rate. It's Jacob Mizrowski versus Jacob Mizrowski. That's just that's just what it is. Since the start of the 2021 season, the top two in walks issued are Dylan Cease and Blake Snell. Dylan Cease has a Cy Young runner-up finish. Blake Snell has multiple Cy Youngs under his belt. You can yep. do that. Just don't beat yourself yep. all the time. He gave up two hits that were over 400 feet last year. Three, actually. <laughs> a home run to Victor Mesa Jr. on a 102-mile-an-hour fastball. Oh. A double to Tim Elko on a 92-mile-an-hour slider, cutter, whatever the hell. And then a 104-mile-an-hour double to Brady House on a 97-mile-an-hour fastball. So I think the most impressive was probably Victor Mesa Jr. turning a 100. Or 99, it was a 99-mile-an-hour fastball, excuse me, uh, that he hit out 102. But that's still pretty pretty freaking impressive. Uh, but, yeah, it's just not going to happen very often. Like, it, no one's going to hit Mizorowski consistently. So it's just, can you be around the zone enough? Right. Guy who could be catching him uh, at some point, although you, you got William Contreras now at the big league level. But one of my favorite catching prospects in the sport and one of the few guys that I will use their, their gift as a defensive clip instead of an offensive clip. That's not because Jefferson Caro is not capable offensively. It's because his throw from his knees was insane. Um, he is so good defensively. And when you have plus defensive ability, or it, it, it's a, it's a plus arm 
He moves really well. He blocks well. The receiving's coming along. And in addition to that, you have plus raw power, uh, above average field to hit. I mean, dude, that that's a really, really fun catcher. Like that's that's a catcher that could be really, really, really good. He's very aggressive. That's what holds him back from, I think, tapping into more power in the game, you know, in games. And also his swing is is, is more geared for line drives and contact. That's why he makes, you know, above average, it put, puts up above average contact rates. But um, it doesn't even really matter if he's if he's not a consistent, consistent hitter, because he is going to still run into some home runs with the EVs being as high as 112 and, you know, 90th percentile. That's plus for his age. And on top of that, the elite defense behind the dish. That said, if he cuts down on the chase, I do think that this guy could be a comfortably above average hitter. If he's above average hitter, plus raw power, plus defender, he could be one of the best catchers in the game. And that's why he's you know one of the best catching prospects in the game, as we talked about him recently. We don't know where he's going to fit in. We talked about that on the on the top catchers episode. If you want to check that out, you know, we, we, we went deep into that. But regardless, this guy put up good numbers, even with a huge slump over the last couple months uh, as a, one of the younger guys in double A had an above average offensive season and was fantastic defensively. He was better than Chorio until what the last month of the year. And then his numbers regressed to a point and Chorio's numbers increased to a point where like Chorio just put up the better year. And like, he's not swiping bags like Chorio is and Chorio hit more home runs, but he kept the whiff in check. Even with that bad end of the year, he punched out what 68 times in like 90 games. Yeah. Insane. Um, Yeah. Yeah, man. I like, I wonder what the usage looks like. And I think at the end of the day, it's going to be Contreras catching three days a week and DHing four and Caro catching four days a week and DHing three, like something like that. Probably what makes sense. And and Contreras has become a good catcher. So that's what makes it even more unique. But if Caro is, is as elite as, as I think he can be, that's probably the, the timeshare that they'll have. And, and the Brewers have always needed a slugging DH. <laughs> like they haven't had it. So they'll, they'll kind of have one uh, built in there. Uh, and, and that probably makes the most sense. It's a good problem to have if you're the Milwaukee Brewers to have uh, two now very well-rounded catchers. The fact that he is only he only struck out 18% of the time uh, when you know, and Jefferson Caro, when when he's chasing at a 35% clip is is pretty impressive. And then also just as the year went on, started to cut down on the on the ground ball rate a little bit. The slump, I think, was just kind of the the aggressive approach rearing its head a little bit. And, and at the end of the day, I, I think he's going to have a really nice year again this year, probably in AAA and spend most of the year there. And then we'll figure out where he's going to go. But I do think that this is arguably one of the most, if not the most well-rounded catching prospect that we have uh, in, in the game right now. Yeah, no, and, and there's no rush to get him out of AAA. He's 21 years old. 21. You have a top three catcher in baseball. Like, barring injury, there's no reason. Um, Biloxi had to have so much fun this year. Tyler Black for 84 games. Chorio for 122 games. You had, what, uh, Carroll there the entire year. You had Wes Clark there. You had Brock Wilkin there at the end of the year. Like, they were so fun. Carlos Rodriguez was pretty much there the entire year. Yeah. That yeah, might have been no. team of the year. That was one of the more fun squads, uh, especially in the double A. I'd say that's probably team of the year in double A. Yeah. Number one. Yeah, much suspense here, right? Uh, Jackson Chorio, <laughs> one of the best prospects in the sport and obviously the best prospect in the system. This this clip that we have here is one of my favorite home runs. <laughs> that thing just gets out on a line. It's a walk-off, uh, but just an absolute laser beam that gets out in center field in about half a second. See, this dude's a freak. 
I mean, it's, it's like the it's like the Ronald Acuna starter kit. I, you know, I don't think he's gonna you know be able to <laughs> produce the way that Acuna does because because nobody does, right? He does he does things that no one can really do. But it's a starter kit. Aside from the fact that also Venezuelan, Carol Venezuelan, by the way. So there there you go. They've been identifying a lot of talent there. Uh, And and also that's where Ronald Acuna is from. It's the ability to hit blended with plus plus raw power, blended with plus plus speed that you just don't find very often. Again, I I don't know if he gets into the power the way that Acuna does. And and Acuna's power is like 80 at this point or, or very close to it. But Chorio, man, it's an above average field to hit that I think is the the big differentiator here because of the bat speed that he can generate, because of the power that we already see. And you know there's going to be more power as he as he matures. He's still extremely young. Uh, the, the polish that he's been able to handle these extremely aggressive assignments, uh, the defense pro- progressing to where you think he can stick in center and, and at least be uh, average or, or slightly above out there. And then, yeah, it's just a matter of tapping into the power more in games. You put the ball on the ground a little bit too much. He's another guy that – Bucks the trend of patient hitters. He's a little bit more expansive, but you know you make exceptions for guys that are as talented as Churio. He got the eighty plus million dollar contract for a reason. I think he's going to be up in the big leagues this year, and I think he's going to make some noise. It's just it's hard to find this kind of bad speed. It's hard to find this kind of explosion. He's just a special, special athlete. He blew the previous record out of the water of largest contract that a guy yet to make his big league debut had signed. It was Luis Robert at fifty mil, like this bypassed it by thirty. Um, there is a huge difference between extending Corbin Carroll at the time Arizona did and extending Jackson Chorio at the time that they did. Carroll had a 30-game sample of ample success at the major league level. Chorio doesn't even have like a large sample of AAA success yeah. under his belt, and he's two years younger. They clearly believe that this guy is special, and level by level, year by year, Game by game, he consistently proves that he's special. And the best thing about this contract is the Brewers have two club options on the back end, and he still hits the open market again at 30. If both those club options are extended, he's that young, he's that good. He's going to have what, a hundred million dollars, 120 if it fully maxes out under his belt. And he's going to have the chance to sign another 10 year deal at the end of that. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, that's insane. And I'm glad like keep this guy because this could be the face of your franchise. He's got to cut down the ground ball rate a little bit. And and that's something that I think will come as he cuts down the chase and just makes better swing decisions. Cause again, he, he can get to pitches. Like he, he's got above average bat to ball skills. So if you're pulling the trigger of pitches that, you know, you, you maybe don't need to early in counts that are lower tailing away from you, whatever breaking balls, you're going to put it on the ground a little bit more and you're not going to tap into as much game power as you're capable of. There's a lot of game power in there. Uh, that, that, that he can, you know, uh, potentially tap into. I think there's 30 home run upside, no problem. And especially playing in an AmFam, you know, get the ball in the air a little bit more. You're, you're going to reap the rewards. And it's foul pull to foul pull power. I mean, he's hit laser beams the other way that have gotten out in half a second. Um, and then, of course, he can really get into a pull side. He can tend to kind of drift forward a little bit, which I think can make it a little bit harder for him to to turn it around pull side. And that's why he kind of likes to go the other way. Sometimes the back can drag a little bit, but he's so quick with it. He's so explosive with his hands that it doesn't really matter. It's just more about making the path a little bit more efficient. And if he does that, I, again, I think it, he's going to just hit another level. The numbers I don't even think really were indicative of how impressive he was. And I saw a, a different Chorio at the end of the year when I got to see him in AAA. For, first of all, he, 
I had like a three eight something runtime to first base, which is absolutely insane. I think the fastest runtime I've ever clocked in person was insane. And then you know, comfortable at bats against Sandy Alcantara, uh, lined one like one oh seven off of a ninety six mile an hour like hard sinker in, and just started to look a little bit more patient. So I think as the approach improves, which I think will happen this coming year, he's going to be a monster. And I, obviously a popular pick for rookie of the year. I'd like to see him just be able to to kind of keep that weight back a little bit longer, be able to lean into the pull side a little bit more and uh, the rest will come. But you know, when you can hit the ball as hard as he does to all fields, it might not even be a problem when you can run the way he does probably not a problem. I, I can't wait to see what it looks like when it all comes together. Remember he was 18 slash 19, 19 last year, really for, for the entire season. Um, so he's just scraping the surface of what I think he can be in terms of the, 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 the stat line. Yeah. So the only jerseys that I see on fanatic on fanatics that are being sold right now for the Brewers are, are Yelich, Adamas, some Sal Freelich, by the way, and Burns mm. and Devin Williams. Torio is going to be there. Sportsworldchicago.com was the only place I saw with Jackson Torio jerseys right now. Uh, go ahead and buy it, and you can probably wear it to opening day, and he'll be in the lineup. Do you think they he, give that contract to somebody that's not the lineup on opening day? There's no there's no way. I think they pulled him from the Venezuelan League game. Like, if you're pulling him from the Venezuelan League game, he better be in the lineup opening day. So I'm going to say it is the Brewers, man. They're not paying the guy to not be in the lineup. He, right. he's, I think he's going to be in the lineup. Time um, to trade a guy. <laughs> yeah, they're going to need to move a guy. Um, and I'm, I, I, they're going to be busy. I still think they're going to be busy in the next couple couple months because they got some things to sort out. They have some good problems, but then they also have the are we going to pay these guys problems too? So right. we'll see what they do. But it should be it should be fun to see how how the Brewers approach things. And and I think they have a lot of young talent on the way, which I think is going to kind of push them to to kind of reset a little bit. And real quick, I want to tie a bow on this. Uh, just baseball show yesterday, we played GM with the Dodgers. And I just I'm going to throw you the trade and you say yes or no. One sentence. Why? Devin Williams is owed about six million dollars in his second year of arbitration. He's going to be owed about ten million dollars in Arb three. We know that gets expensive. And the Brewers, they moved off Hater at that point, too. Um, they moved off a Hater with a year and a half remaining. Devin Williams for Michael Bush and Nick Frasso. Send Devin Williams to the Dodgers. Do you so, do it if you are Matt Arnold, the lead decision maker for the Brewers? I So we talked about it. I remember it and I was like. In, in a vacuum, yes. But now going through the system, do they need another guy like that, like Michael Bush? They've got like three of them. Bush is the best example of them, but another guy that can't play defense and, and is all about the bat? But who would you rather have, Michael Bush or Oliver Dunn? Michael Bush or Tyler Black? Like, I, I'm just going with Bush. Tyler Black is close. It's close. I, I'm going to lean Tyler Black. But Frasso on top of that, too. You add yeah. Frasso to this fold. I think they should do. I think they should do something along those lines. I think they should yeah. definitely do something along those lines. So, I think that value is is right, and I think they move them. So we'll see what they do. But check out that playing GM episode too on the Just Baseball Show if you, if you enjoy the Brewers because we're going to be trading a lot of Brewers guys. Sorry over over the next few GMs episodes because that's what we're expecting, and I think they're going to play the youth. But that'll do it for this episode. Another NL Central team checked off it'll either be cardinals or pirates next week we'll we'll let you all know um but looking forward to continuing to dive into that and of course the top 10 by positions as well we'll be doing that next week as always thank you for listening have a great weekend look forward to talking prospects with you next week
Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM.